0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Very excited today because, once again, Another amazing interview. But before we get into that, a couple of things. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor, which is Salesforce. Thank you very much, Salesforce, for being a part of Amazing Business Radio. If you want to find out more about what Salesforce has to offer, just go to our website, www.amazingbusinessradio.com, and click on the Salesforce link. And next, I want to get into the question of the week. This is one that has come up over and over again over the years, and I love answering this question. By the way, if you want your questions answered, all you have to do is go on Twitter, and go and uh, use the hashtag #AskShep and my Twitter handle, which is at @hiken. That's a with the little circle around it, hiken, H-Y-K-E-N, and of course the hashtag is #AskShep, one word. All right, so here is the big question: Is the customer always right? Wow, I have heard this over and over again that companies and people train their employees that the customer is always right. I have good news. Number one, the customer is not always right. And number two, this is what I want you to start telling everybody. The customer is not always right. But here is the most important thing to remember. The customer is always the customer. So if they're wrong... Let them be wrong with dignity. If you've got an argument or a confrontation that is starting to happen, recognize you're not there to win the argument, you're there to win the customer. And whether they are right or wrong, you've got to approach this with a sense of dignity and respect for that customer and sometimes an even a delicate dance around the customer's issues. I'll give you an example of something that happened where it was obvious that the customer was wrong. And that particular time, the customer was me. I was up in Canada. I was going there for a speaking engagement. I arrived late at night. I showed up at my hotel and I went to check in and the person said, I'm sorry, I don't see your reservation. Well, I had in my hand a confirmation for that hotel, and I knew that this was that opportunity where I was either going to have a major confrontation or this person was going to show me just how good she really was. So we talked for a few minutes, and she said, sir, I am really sorry. We don't have a room. I mean, there's not one room available. And I couldn't understand. I had my confirmation. And underneath her breath, I actually heard her say, the customer is always right. And she said it a couple of times, and I could tell she was becoming really, really frustrated. So I said, stop. Let's step aside here. Let's step back, whatever, and let's analyze what's going on here. And I pulled out my confirmation, and I showed her. There was the name of the hotel, and this was the exact same night, and, and there was nothing wrong. Well, actually, there was one thing wrong, the address of the hotel. You see, the hotel, actually, this brand had two locations, about about two blocks apart from each other, and guess what? I was at the wrong location. And as soon as she spotted this, she pointed out to me. I could see there was a little bit of relief, but rather than just say, hey, you see, I was right, you were wrong, she said, wow, this. I understand this happens. Here's what we're going to do. Our bellman is going to actually take your bags and drive you over to the other hotel. Wow, what a great solution, and what a very nice offer to do for me. You see, the customers not always right, and the way she handled it, she handled it with respect and dignity. She didn't make me feel bad. We actually laughed about the situation. Now, there are obviously other more contentious moments that you will have with your customer and recognize that you do not have to acquiesce. If they're wrong, they're wrong. If they're right, well, that's fine too but no matter what you are always going to give them the respect and dignity that they that <laughs> the respect and dignity that they deserve so with that in mind we're going to jump to our interview and you're going to love this one we'll be right back in just a moment this is shep hyken on amazing business radio Good customer service is now an expectation. Don't provide it and you'll be disrupted by a competitor who does. So, what can you do to stand out? Well, that's the focus of my latest book, The Convenience Revolution, how to create a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. The goal is to reduce friction and be convenient for your customers. So, if you're ready to take your customer service to the next level and disrupt your competitors, well, this is the book for you. To order the book, go to www.beconvenient.com. That's beconvenient.com. It's time for you to join the revolution, the convenience revolution. This is Amazing Business
1: Radio with Shep Hyken.
0: We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and I promised you a great interview, and today we have somebody that is not only in the trenches doing this day in and day out for his clients, and uh, his organization works with companies all over the world, but he's also an author. We have Mark Samuel, the founder and CEO of Impact, and the book is B-State, B as in boy, B-State, A New Roadmap for Bold Leadership Brave Culture, and Breakthrough Results. There's at least three Bs there, and I'm excited about it. Mark, welcome to Amazing Business Radio.
1: Hey, thank you, Shep. It's uh, really glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, we're having fun. Now, you are truly worldwide. Uh, we Just before we jumped on this interview, you shared with me that your organization, IMPACT, which, by the way, I-M-P-A-Q, uh, is that an acronym for
1: anything? it it really isn't we we took it from the word impact because our in uh, 1986 when we formed at that time um we had been in business for a while our customers said the thing we can always depend on is you guys have great impact not only for our business for but for people's personal lives So we just got cute and put the Q at the end.
0: Right. I just thought maybe you couldn't spell, and it sounded right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have that issue, too. But (laughs) But they say
0: that spelling or the ability to not spell well is no indication of intelligence, just so you know that. So that should make you feel better. So you have at least a dozen people here in the U.S. You have seven people over in Amsterdam handling Europe. You have six people down in Bogota, Colombia, which is one of my favorite countries to visit, uh, the city and country. I spent, uh, let's see, how many times I go to Bogota this year? Two or three. Anyway. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, yeah, I've got great clients down there. And so you're worldwide. This is exciting. You've worked with amazing brands like Nissan and Hewlett-Packard and American Express and Chevrolet and Michelin and some great companies, so we are excited to learn from you today. Now, before we get deep into this, this book you've written, B-State, you know, uh, obviously you're playing off the words bold, brave, and breakthrough. Um, Yes. This just came out not that long ago. It's available through Amazon.com. Give us a short little, you know, one or two sentences about what this book is about.
1: Yeah, it's a whole paradigm shift basically for any individual wanting to make a change but also for organizations and the paradigm shift is really simple. Most of the time we start out at A state, we want to get to B state, but all we end up doing is is creating an A plus state. In other words, we just have a better uh, form of what we're currently doing and that's what continuous improvement is for but for true major transformation either in your culture in your business or for yourself, it's much more it's much faster and it's much more effective to actually create a B state picture of success in other words, what is your new current reality and let that pull you forward rather than trying to push yourself forward from a state so, It's how we get such fast results, like within three to six months with those organizations, is we start by getting a very clear picture of what the future looks like, creating that new reality, not in terms of outcomes, but in terms of behaviors, how we're showing up differently, and that sets the alignment for how we work to get there.
0: Now, I, I talk about creating a customer-focused culture, and yes. I talk about six simple steps, and our listeners who've been listening ha- know what my six steps are. I'm not going to go through them. But one of the things I I call them are six simple steps. And one day, an executive raised his hand and said, you keep saying simple. Like, I mean, how long is this <laughs> going to take me? And I said, how many people in your company? And I think he said about 35,000 or so. And yeah. I said, probably take, you know, five or six years Um, when do you want to get started? (laughs) And I I said, simple does not mean easy, but it sounds to me if you're getting results, and by the way, you know, the thing, the best describe your company said is when, you know, business is changing and you want to get the culture in alignment, either a new culture or an existing culture taken to, like, if there's a merger, you know, getting people indoctrinated into it or seeing a new focus, this is what you do. You, you really get everybody into alignment yet you're telling me this can be done in six months. So I'm not saying that you provide the magic bullet, but I want to find out if there's any part of this that, you know, we can take away and say, you know what, maybe we can do it in months and not years.
1: Yeah, and we don't try and and change everything all at once. Our whole focus is on leverage. And so, because you you simply don't have the resources to get to 35,000 people. But, can you get to your middle management team? Can you get to your senior management team, if, if, that, if that's where it's getting stuck, and get them to change in such a way and so dramatically that it starts to filter down the whole organization? And generally, I'm not working on 35,000-person changes at this point. We're generally dealing with uh, organizations of two to 5,000 people and making those change very quickly, like in the six to twelve.
0: Yeah, you know, t- that's t- a, t- a little bit more months. manageable number, and and I'll tell you the most sure. manageable is like if you've got eighty people, we can change this in the next couple of months. <laughs> At least yeah. when yeah. you get right. it started, right? You know, because it's right. easy to communicate, and I think that's a big part of it is communication.
1: Ab- absolutely, but it's also in, in again in those behaviors. If you, you know, and I'll, I'll give you one of the keys, and that is to break down the silos. As long as you're in silos, you can't operate effectively, and you can't really demonstrate any sense of, of core values. Um, you have to break down the silos and get people to start working across the organization in service to what's good for the organization. And man, you can you you will see that trickle down so fast because it gives everybody permission to start solving problems and focusing on the customer rather than getting distracted in hierarchy.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the whole concept of silos and and everybody's been saying for years you must break down the silos. It's and and I'm not suggesting what you're saying is wrong. No, it's 100% accurate and right, but this breaking down silos concept is almost becoming cliche. It's like get rid of it. We all need to be on the same page. We're all on the same team. Yet if you create these silos, you almost create a competitive atmosphere within your own company, which at the end, I believe is detrimental to the overall success because you have people that are uh, they're politically motivated uh, and i 'm not talking about politics as in you know government politics i 'm talking about internal politics. They're politically motivated. They're uh, motivated out of fear of their jobs. They hold back information. No, I think it needs to be far more open than that. And hence the concept of breaking down that silo. Let's just say eliminate silos.
1: Well, absolutely. Shep, you're right on it because the problem has been we organizations have set up their habits to promote silos it starts with the hierarchy and the structure, but it also goes into how people make decisions and how we share information, et cetera. The, the secret sauce that we go into is, is we start changing their habits. And we generally start at middle management because that's where silos truly begin and have an effect on the entire culture. So we get them to, instead of being just dedicated to their functional area, we get them aligned All different functions together align to the organization with their specific role of um, ensuring the culture and operational excellence as a team for the whole organization. Now all of a sudden, they're working together to solve problems rather than going functional.
0: Right, I love that. So middle management is going to push it through, uh, or help push it through, and you've got to get everybody on board. Can you give yeah. us an example? And I'm sure in your book you've got numerous examples of like the rock star companies that are doing this, and and how they're getting you know how they're doing it. Maybe something they've overcome. Some you, know, you have a story there.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, we've got we've got several stories. Um, I'll say one of the the major ones it, ones are right now. A lot of them are in healthcare because they're getting so hit with with increased costs and. Uh, nursing shortages and all sorts of, of dilemmas. They can't even serve, you know, serve their population. Um, and as you know, part of customer service is also patient experience. And so that's where, that's where it hits the hardest. So there was, you know, one, one particular medical center I was working with, uh, was, was operating in the red. And they'd been operating in the red for a while. And the current year that they were in, they, you know, and I hit them. I I got to them about in April. Was going to be another down year, and they were literally thinking of selling out. Problem is, they're in a rural community, and two and a half hours from the nearest airport, which I can tell you wasn't fun to get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. You know, they were caught in silos. They were caught in, in thinking that if they focused on metrics, that's going to turn things around. And we went in and got them more focused on the patient, started to create patient-centered care, which to me is it's like customer-centered service, and also got the a, about uh, 50 middle managers together to say, we need to drive this organization if we're going to, if if we're actually going to you know, survive. And within three months, they were able to reduce uh, operating expenses by about uh, $7 million. And that year was the first year they were profitable again in the black.
0: How did they do that? With, uh, how did they reduce expenses by focusing on the patient or the customer?
1: Well, they started to look at it again from if if, if the patient is, is the one that we're serving, how do we start eliminating and removing any costs that aren't directly associated with patient care and patient service? And how do we work together so that our throughput between different departments are more effective, more streamlined, um, et cetera? So they... You know, because a uh, a big part of their reimbursement is based on quality metrics as well mm-hmm. and patient experience. So it wasn't just that they eliminated costs; it was also that they added um, uh, uh, quality to their to their patient experience that ended up causing them to get higher reimbursement from the government.
0: Right, and I would imagine also as you start to focus on the patient or the customer you start to recognize that there are some expenses that aren't so focused maybe it's all for the benefit and, uh, you know, support internally. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you can start to look at things and say, hey, do I need this? We're talking with Mark Samuel, founder of CEO of Impact, and he is the author of B-State, A New Roadmap for Bold Leadership, Brave Culture, and Breakthrough Results. That's available on Amazon. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. Don't go away. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the shepherd letter form. And each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more. All about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to always be amazing.
1: You're listening to Amazing Business
0: Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Mark Samuel. Now, you were getting ready to say something right when we took the break. And go ahead and finish that uh, that uh, chain of thought.
1: Yeah, you know, when you when you talk about patient experience or you talk about customer service, it all begins inside the organization first. And one of the major ways they cut costs was they had such high turnover of nurses and had to bring in traveling nurses, which is super expensive. By the time we were done with them in that year, they went from 25 traveling nurses down to two. And the extra cost from that, but also here's the the thing, when you got turnover and you're not keeping your people, how do you have great customer service? Because you don't have that consistency, you have different faces, different people, Different, you know, coordination. You, you can't provide effective customer service when your turnover is, you know, is, is through it's the high, roof.
0: Yeah. So here's the point, I think, is that and if you look at the stats, the best customer-focused companies, the ones that provide the best service that are recognized year after year in all the different surveys and all those results, you can also take a look at Glassdoor, for example, which are where employees rate their companies they work for. And you're going to yeah. find a lot of those companies that are the top in great service are also the best places to work. No doubt about it. The, the benefit of that is obviously lower turnover, um, more engaged people, because if you've got lower turnover, that means you're making your employees happy. And that's powerful. And uh, what does that you know, lower turnover mean? You don't have to hire. Very expensive to hire people very expensive to train them properly. So even though in even the medical profession, you're bringing in skilled nurses, you know, you can't, you still have to train them to a degree, not to be a better nurse or or maybe there's ongoing education for that, but to be uh, the type of employee that you want at that medical center. I worked with a medical center years ago. Uh, They were amazing. They shut down an entire section of of their operation because they couldn't properly staff with nurses. And I said, but, but, you know, is there a nursing shortage? A little bit, but here's the thing. It's not that we hire, just want to hire good nurses. We want to hire good nurses that understand and can adapt into our culture. Because if we've got a good nurse that doesn't know how to deliver great patient service, not just to the patients, but their family members and and people like that, what happens is that destroys what we're all about. We can't afford to have that happen.
1: Yeah. that And that's how critical it is. And that's that's a clear sense of purpose. In, in the situation I was describing, they went from about 25 to 35 percent employee engagement to 80 percent employee engagement within a year. And again, we didn't work with all employees. We worked with the 50 middle managers, bringing them together as a team. But now all of a sudden, th- literally three levels below them employees were talking the language they were excited they felt like they could participate and engagement rose
0: wow so you mentioned some uh, in our in the first part of our interview we you mentioned the word metrics and you said yeah. they were focused on the wrong metrics so i'm going to go and mention a couple of companies one of which is your client uh, american express and uh-huh. uh, you know another one like zappos we all know these companies are very focused on customer service but one of the things that they focus on is not uh, how long, and you know, let's let's move to the support center, the, the call center, if you will. It's yeah. not how long the call is, how many, you know, uh, all the metrics that go into a support center. Really, there's one metric they care about, and that is at the end, is that customer happy? Um, Amex uses the net promoter score question on a scale mm-hmm. of 0 to 10, what's the likelihood you'd recommend us Is one of their main barometers as to whether or not they're doing a good job. They aren't looking to get off the phone until that customer is absolutely happy. How do you feel about that? And is that really what
1: you're focused on? Absolutely. Um, It's you know, everyone focuses on speed, or or you know, they have all these other multiple metrics. But at the end of the day, it's about did I feel like I was treated like a human being? Like someone actually cared about my concern, cared about how to solve the problem. Um, and, and I've had things break down, you know, I've had calls, you know, where you've been on hold forever and then the, you finally get to somebody and then somehow the, the, the phone call gets dropped. Oh, the I hate when is, that happens. They, <laughs> I know, but if they call you back and they really, and they apologize and they're really on the phone with you to care, man, I don't care about those technical breakdowns. All I care about is the fact that from human being to human being, they demonstrated care and concern about my situation and did the very best they could. Not just some rote answer and then getting off the phone because they can't solve it, or passing me from person to person to person. That is so annoying. It's like, no, it's like care enough to get me to the right person and care enough to, to help me solve it.
0: You know, and it's, uh, even if if a an agent or anybody in customer support or anybody talking to anybody, even a fellow employee, not just a customer, if they can't give them the answer that they know that this other person wants to hear, at least do it in such a way that shows that you care, you feel bad sometimes that you can't do something. And you know what? Somebody will say something to the effect of, wow, you know, I'm really not happy with the answer they gave me, but you know, I I can't, fault them for not caring and get, and they'll still get that on the scale of one to 10, they'll get that 10 rating. So that's right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. And uh, the first one is, is this, as we start to wrap up, how do you see customer experience evolving in the future? And you know, how the mindset of experience is going to need to change for future generations.
1: I think the biggest change that we need to make in customer service is not just think about serving the customer in the moment, but really strategizing and thinking into the future of what is my customer going to need in the future? Like, how do we provide a value to help that customer understand their world is changing? What is it changing to? And how can we be of service to help them in that changing world? Because it's changing fast, whether it's the technology that's, that's causing the change, or it's just simply societal trends that are changing, generational trends that are changing. We have to help our customers adapt to what they need, not only for what they need right now in the moment to answer a particular concern or issue, but also what are they going to need down the future. That, to me, is a value-added customer service.
0: Yeah, I love that. So it's basically, I'm going to put it into uh, true customer service and support terms. Years ago, I was working with Verizon, and I was traveling around to all of their call centers. And one of the things we emphasized is that they need to look at this customer and not just answer the problem, but try and guess what the next problem is going to be that they might yes. have based on what their package is. Are they under an old program? Should we suggest switching? And by the way, it's not just asking a question. It's making a suggestion as well. Based on yes. their pattern, you can see this person's called in the past. How, do you need to handhold them a little bit more versus somebody that's obviously you know savvy? And it was really interesting that that was a great measure of success from the standpoint of metrics and customer engagement and customer happiness and et cetera, et cetera. Where it's changed a little bit is really cool because today, artificial intelligence can support the customer support rep and say, hey, you've got a customer on the phone that's been with us for four years. This is the product that they have. This is what they've called about in the past. And by the way, they're the same as a 1,000 other customers you might want to make this suggestion or you might want to answer this question that they haven't even asked yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so technology's given us a little bit of a support boost there.
1: Yeah, and so the technology's getting much better, but it's really a thinking. It is. Role, it's still, still engagement people role. to people, yeah.
0: right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have time for one more question, and I know you've been warned what that question is. It's the one thing question, one thing you absolutely want to make sure that our listeners know about maybe a new nugget, or do you want to emphasize something you've already talked about?
1: Well, when I, I, I'm so passionate about customer service, and I, and I actually think of it as internally as well as externally.
0: Amen to that.
1: But, yes. And the, to me, the biggest factor in it is how do I maintain my own service consciousness? Forget it being about customer, just being of service. How do I be helpful to the person next to me? I think about it when I'm on, going on a plane. Does someone around me need some help putting up luggage? It's like, how do I look at my world in a way where I am of service? Because if I'm, if I'm of a service consciousness, two things happen. One is I get the gift back of being of service. Cause it's not about just satisfying a customer's need. There's so much joy in the giving and the helping of someone else person to person that it's just a beautiful, that's one of the processes we do is what's the gift of giving, you know, kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. it's, and it's to me that brings it back to the heart. And if you're doing that naturally all the time, you're building up the habits, the skills, the awareness to be better at the technical part of customer service. So, for me, it's that inner consciousness, and I can tell that as soon as I get on the phone with somebody that I don't know. Are you of service consciousness or are you just doing a service customer service job? Boy, I can tell that right away
0: right, and you know what it's obviously uh it's well it's obvious to customers who are talking to anybody, whether it's face to face over the phone, and even engaging sometimes in text based you know messaging. You know yeah. when somebody cares. And the other thing is I think you make a great point, and that is sometimes it's little things. And if you're in the habit of helping that person get the, over, the get the luggage in the overhead bin, opening the door for somebody and letting them through, I think those are habits that kind of speak to how you are in general. And, uh, by the yeah. way, that may not be a bad idea when next time you're uh, you're interviewing somebody is to, as you walk them out – Notice if you let them go first, do they open the door and walk in front of you or do they open the door and let you by? I don't think that's telling of what their whole uh, personality is like, but I think that as you start to add all these little pieces of information up, it shows. This person is obviously caring. They're well-mannered, et cetera, et cetera. So, Mark, you've been awesome. This is why we call it, maybe I should call it awesome business radio, but no, amazing <laughs> business radio. <laughs> and so I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on our show today. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, Chef. This has been a full delight, and I, I just love the depth that you go to in, in this customer service field.
0: Well, thank you very much. Again, it's Mark Samuel, founder and CEO of Impact, I-M-P-A-Q, and the author of a great book. B-State, a new roadmap for bold leadership, brave culture, and breakthrough results. That wraps up another show, another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We thank you all for listening. Remember, check out our sponsor, Salesforce. Just go to AmazingBusinessRadio.com, click on the link. They'll share with you what their latest offering is. And if you want to ask a question or tell a story, just go on Twitter, at Hiken, hashtag AskShep. And as you know, we now do that before uh, at the beginning of every show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Chef Hyken here reminding you to always be amazing.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.